the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. The experts can see they missed the signs. The feds begin to shrink its portfolio, and consumers wonder if it's that 70s inflation show all over again. Well, in spite of the reruns, let's get a look at what's going on in the world of money this very day as we welcome you 30-plus year financial manager, author, and the principal of Vitucci and Associates, Pat Vitucci. Well, Pat, my goodness, uh, it just seems like deja vu all over again for those of us old enough to remember inflation in the late 1970s, early 1980s. We know the pain at the pump. We're seeing pain at the grocery store. And I guess all folks today are wondering how soon before the Fed acts to put us out of our misery, or is this going to be the new normal, at least for the time being? Yeah, you know, looking back in the 70s, um, I I think market conditions are actually a little bit worse this time around. Uh, If you think about it, we've got some real fundamental foundational issues. We've got the war in Ukraine, which in and of itself is significant. Uh, they're, Ukraine, little did we know before this war started, they are a significant wheat exporter. They uh, export and we import 50% of our, of our um, sunflower oil. Uh, so those two in and of itself, uh, Craig, uh, if you think of wheat being in, Lots of food additives that we, 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 you know, i.e. bread and certainly a whole lot of other things. That in and of itself could have fair amount of pressure on inflation. Then we throw in the, in the uh, pandemic as we're coming off, we hope, the serious issues of the pandemic. The, the fall is right around the corner. Uh, so we don't know if we'll get back into some masking or, or stay-at-home closure kind of issues. But the pandemic is still out there looming, and we're, we're, we're readjusting to a post-pandemic world. Then we toss in a China lockdown, who's having serious pandemic issues, COVID issues. Um, again, a big, big supplier of lots of stuff that we buy at the stores, uh, which is certainly contributing to the supply chain issue. Um, we're not out of the woods on the supply chain issue with... with uh, I think Ford just announced the least number of cars they've built in the in the in the last quarter. So that's gotta influence the Federal Reserve decisions to raise interest rates a quarter or a half point 
in their June meeting. Uh, and of course, all this re- is resulting in giant inflation. And when you see energy costs, the cost of filling up your tank, uh, and then we'll soon be looking to heat our homes um, this winter. So we've got some real foundational issues that may make that, that 70s inflation story look sophomoric. Jamie Dimon, president of J.P. Morgan Chase, kind of the poster child for capitalistic successful systems. He's been, been, the, um, been the president there for 10 plus years describes the, our immediate future as an economic hurricane. That's not real comforting when Jamie Dimon, who is normally a pretty conservative guy, says brace yourself for an economic hurricane caused by the Fed and the Ukraine war. So we've got some, we've got some serious um, headwinds coming up that is going to affect the stock market. It's going to affect your 401k. It's going to affect your IRA. Where do you invest given the headwinds that we're going to be facing? Janet Yellen just this week conceded, well, maybe this inflation thing is not transitory. You know, that was kind of the political spin on costs getting way out of line. And so... When Janet Yellen says, well, maybe we've got a more serious issue on our hands, um, it should get our attention. The stock market, this casino is closed, as as somebody recently said uh, 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 this week. We need to look at earnings. We need to look at valuations and weakening financials. Are these stock prices unsustainable? And so we really have to look at um, is the stock market the Las Vegas on the Hudson? Because after all, we've been we've had years and years and years of of just illustrative, beautiful up upscale markets. And almost anything you put your hands on, you did really well. But here we're pivoting in a significant way to maybe some darker days on Wall Street. The zero interest rate environment we've been used to is long gone. We're looking at mortgage rates just a few scant months ago at the two plus range. We're now into the 5% plus range. Five and a half was the last number I saw. That will kill, if it isn't already, the real estate market. And so... Here to far, we've seen multiple offers. Uh, I've just talked to a friend last night. His his house has been on the market for about three weeks. They've had no showings. So clearly, uh, even though inventory is very, very low, um, the affordability index, when it goes from 2 plus to 5 plus percent, uh, has a direct impact on your monthly monthly payment. So we're seeing a giant shift in the fundamentals of the economy, how long this will last. The Federal Reserve will have another meeting this month and most likely vote on a half percent increase. Maybe it'll be a quarter. When will inflation peak? That's, that is the big, the big uh, question. 
Unemployment favorably remains really low. Um, wages are growing a little bit. Uh, but this whole idea of stagflation, the combination of a stagnant growth economy and runaway inflation is not a good label to put on this on this economy. Stagflation is 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 a problem term, and so you've got the the psychology of the market turning very pessimistic from very optimistic, and so when you see that that pivotal change, uh, it 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 spooks uh, the average investor and. Sometimes people take an extreme case and move all to cash, uh, and that's not a, a that's not a good idea. Uh, timing the market is impossible. Time in the market makes absolute sense. So it's a again it's a rotation to different areas of the economy, whether it's domestic, emerging, global, whether it's uh, high to. Ta- uh, Large cap, small cap, mid cap, and what sectors are you in? High tech, biotech, entertainment. Uh, airlines are doing great. Cruise lines are doing great. Uh, how long will that last? Depending on how bad this inflation gets. It's really looking at those 50 leading and lagging economic indicators that are really the underpinnings of how we make decisions and not what the Dow Jones did yesterday or what the NASDAQ did yesterday. Uh, It's really drilling down and looking at the fundamentals to even give you a hint of where this economy is moving towards. And there's, there's going to be winner sectors and there's going to be loser sectors. Just a few scant months ago, we talked about going from pandemic favorable industries to uh, less favorable industries hit by the pandemic. Now we're getting into more uh, dividend kinds of growth companies, uh, what companies have control over pricing, and those will be the winners because if if you can't control the pricing of your products and inflation is hurting badly. We saw just a few weeks ago Walmart and Target announced um, pretty bad numbers uh, because they they didn't react quickly enough to inflation, and so those companies who can still have the has the pricing power to create. It's going to be the place where uh, our listeners need to consider moving towards. And I guess, Pat, it really begs the question, as some folks have been kind of, at least for the moment, been on the sideline, wondering whether or not what we're seeing taking place right now in the markets with extreme volatility, spikes in inflation, the pain at the pump, things of that sort, whether or not this is an exception or the new norm. And it sounds like both you and Joel are suggesting that at least for the foreseeable future, 
we're in the new norm. That means that this paradigm shift going from kind of, well, you could overhear the name of a company on the BART train on the way into work and maybe put a little money into it and maybe make a little bit of money, um, sort of, the, sort of the, you know, the, the, the roll the dice approach to investing. And while for some that might have served them, it seems as if now we're really shifting into what we'll call more of a thinking person's market. So that you really need to understand the trends that are taking place, do the due diligence, engage in the analysis, and try to essentially get out in front of all of this and and gain a sense of not where things have been, but where they might be headed. And that's going to mean a, a completely different approach from what we've traditionally done, at least over the past five to ten years. Craig, you're right. This is a this is a Wayne Gretzky kind of of environment. Wayne Gretzky famously said. When asked about how come you you do so well, he said you you look at where the puck is going and you move in that in that uh, a direction. So it's kind of a Wayne Wayne Gretzky kind of world. We also want to look at what companies are buying back their stock, and so that's a good indication in many cases, not every time, of companies you should consider if if the boards of directors and the executive teams are saying. Let's buy back our stock because this correction seems uh, way too extreme and our share prices are very attractive. And let's take all this cash we have in our in our um, balance sheet and buy back our stock. So when we get through this difficult period, the, the return on that investment is becomes really attractive. So pay close attention to those companies announcing these giant buybacks, and they're always in the billions of dollars range, you know. And I think that's key to uh, at least one little hint of maybe some things you should uh, consider. All right. Well, Pat, we appreciate that update on the world of money. Pat Fatucci with Fatucci and Associates. More information available on the web at don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call them toll free at 800 800- or call them toll-free at 888-PLAN-WISE. I'm Craig Roberts at Time Out, back with more on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I had a friend when I was growing up in um, high school days and was involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And this guy was a great believer, really had a heart for the Lord, uh, was found faithfully in church on every Sunday, uh, had a voracious uh, desire and appetite for the Word. Every time there was a prayer opportunity, a prayer meeting, something of that sort, he was there. He was just one of those really faithful guys. And yet, in the entire time that I knew him, I recognized that this guy dealt with a degree of shame. Now, in his case, the shame wasn't necessarily because of anything that he had done or failed to do. But, you see, he came from a household where his mother had died years before when he was younger, leaving the surviving parent, his father, with himself, a younger brother, a younger sister. Uh, Dad was kind of a rough-and-tumble kind of character, uh, had been a truck driver, inconsistent when it came to work, so... The house wasn't in a very nice neighborhood. The lawns were never well kept. The house was never well maintained. The kids were never well dressed nor never well fed. Though they were all decent human beings, 
there always seemed to be kind of this cloud of shame that this friend of mine carried, even as a believer, uh, because he couldn't invite people over to his home. He felt embarrassed at times because his father, being kind of the rough-and-tumble guy, would use uh, foul language and things of that sort, so there was a degree of embarrassment. And um, I always wondered, boy, what kind of a cross is that for us to bear as believers when sometimes we deal with the the pain of worthlessness or rejection or just downright shame. Well, my guest tonight has written a book that tackles this very issue. Uh, down through the years, he's authored quite a number of best-selling books, uh, including When People Are Big and God is Small, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, Depression, Stubborn Darkness, many others, including his latest book entitled simply Shame Interrupted. How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. And Ed Welsh, great to have you on the program tonight. Craig, yeah, great to be with you, too. I really uh, really enjoy thinking about this particular topic, and um, I'm looking forward to our time together. You mentioned to our listeners that you are a licensed uh, psychologist and faculty member of the um, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, a highly respected organization, and you've, you've tackled an issue here that kind of kind of rides down below the surface, I think, in the lives of a lot of believers for different reasons. Now, I shared at my opening remarks the, the shame, the sense of shame that this friend of mine had for so long, that sent, that kind of foreboding sense of, 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 of guilt about this and never knowing quite what to do. I mean, is this something that we need to maybe right out the gate differentiate between guilt and shame or the sense that we'll get under some, some circumstances of conviction of the Holy Spirit? Kind of delineate that. For us, yeah, I, I think that's an important one. But let me go. Let me go back a little bit. You're 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 wrestling with the question: how how big is this issue? And and if we go to scripture, it it, it seems to advertise shame is in, in many ways the the premier human struggle. You know, so you know you have Genesis: they were naked and without shame. Well, that's just. You know, it's like a it's like a, the, the story being given away right at the beginning, where you know it's setting us up to see. Okay, then they were naked and with shame, and and really the entire Bible becomes a, a, a wrestling with this question: What do I do with this sense of shame? So I, I think you're you're saying something very very important at the outset with your illustration. Well, here's a guy who was struggling with it, but if if Scripture is true. What we'd expect is that we're going to find we're going to find touches of this in every single person, and and some of those words you use to describe shame, they boy, I would imagine just about every American would say them. I feel like a failure sometimes. I feel worthless. Who haven't who hasn't said that? Um, I feel unlovable. Uh, and but here's here's the sort of the twist that shame gives unlovable. Uh, I'm unlovable. But other people aren't. You know, other people are lovable, but I'm not lovable. There's something, there's something especially not quite right about me. That's, mm. un, it's under those experiences that we find this this thing that Scripture calls shame. And as you point out, this is something that we really have struggled with since the beginning of mankind. I mean, we, we've got that illustration very early in the garden uh, with the creation of mankind. There he was, there she was in our, in our uh, complete glory. Uh, there was never any sense of guilt or shame uh, until then, of course, uh, of the eating of the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil. And suddenly... Man in his nakedness went from that state of being without shame to suddenly 
burdened down with shame. And this is something that, of course, is, has followed us to one degree or another ever since. And, and if, we, if we follow the, the storyline in those first chapters of Genesis, we find this, this very concise picture of shame. And it seems to revolve around a triad of three things. Well, first of all, you feel naked, obviously. You, you feel exposed. You feel like you are being seen. Somebody, others can see you and you're not quite right. That would be one experience of it. You just feel exposed. Uh, second is, and you, you find this in the Genesis story, you feel like an outcast. You feel like you don't belong anymore. And I would say that that's, in many ways, that's really the key experience. There's something about you that you don't fit in. And I can remember one, uh, this, this, this moment I had in high school where, of course, I, like everybody else in high school, felt like I never fit in. But then I'd have these conversations with my friends, and I found these guys who were, you know, you know great guys who, who just seemed like they had everything. They didn't feel like they fit in. You, know, you begin to realize, does anybody feel like they belong? And it's an elusive human experience. The other part of the experience is you feel unclean. There's something dirty about you. And, and Craig, I think that's where that link between guilt and shame can get a little fuzzy, where, okay, you feel dirty, you feel bad. Well, I think, I think many of us have this instinct that if we feel bad, it means we've done something bad, we've done something wrong, and, and we, we tend to look for something to confess. And, and certainly shame can occasionally be because we have done something we feel like is so wrong. It's, it's a different kind of sin or a different kind of wrong than other people have committed. And so there's that sense we, you know, well, for example, I, I uh, drove to work today and I expect if today wasn't like any other day, I rolled through a stop sign or two. And ends up breaking the law, and I'm not trying to say I'm proud of it, but, but I'm willing to acknowledge it because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping that, that you rolled through a stop sign today, too. And, and, and so you're, you're shaking your head and say, yeah, 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 I'm with you. I know, I know what you're talking about. But there, there are other kinds of wrongs that we could talk about where nobody's shaking their head. They're just sort of looking at us. So occasionally, the, the bad that we feel is a result of, of what we've done. We just feel like what we've done is very different and, and more disgraceful than anything anybody else has done. The other, the larger part of shame, which you've already spoken about, is, is we feel bad, we feel unclean, but it's, it, you, can, you can confess all day and it's not going to make any difference. Um, it's because we are associated with things or people that have done unclean things to us. And, and certainly, you know, you, you mentioned one, just associations with poverty and not having anything. Well, there's the literal sense of feeling worthless and not fitting in. The, the other illustrations that, that probably most of us would immediately think of would be some kind of sexual violation where you have been, it's not what you've done. You feel, obviously, you feel dirty, but you can't confess that dirtiness because it's a dirtiness that somebody else has thrown on you or somebody who's been divorced. Um, the same thing. If they were on the bad end of divorce where, where the spouse left them, there, there's a sense that there's something wrong with me. There's something bad about me. And it's not because of what they've done. It's because of what has been done to them. So, so shame really is the much larger struggle if, uh, than guilt. Guilt can be one part of shame, but shame is a much, much wider experience. 
Tackling the topic today as we're joined by a best-selling author, Edward Welsh, a look at Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're visiting today with best-selling author Ed Welsh. He is a licensed psychologist and faculty member of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. And uh, amongst the number of titles that he's written down through the years, his latest, Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. Let's um, maybe kind of dive a little bit deeper into this topic, Ed, as we help folks understand sometimes the difference between what maybe can be good shame in letting us know, and maybe I'm not using the right phraseology here, but letting us know that there's something amiss in our lives that we need to address versus the kind of shame that's kind of brought upon us typically by circumstances that oftentimes are either outside of our control or, or, or had nothing to do with our own actions. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I guess I guess I tend to think about it this way. I think of of guilt has a bit more benefits than shame. <laughs> where where guilt, you know, our conscience can remind us, hey, I did wrong, and it's time for confession. Shame is it, it tends to be much more renegade, and and I. I I don't find really that often in Scripture. Occasionally you find it, um, but but very infrequently do you find in Scripture the encouragement for people to experience shame. There were times where Israel was just completely hard-hearted, and and, and the Lord essentially says, "Shame on you! Uh, you you have you have no shame anymore." But but when 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 I see the Lord dealing with individual people, especially when we race up to the New Testament and see Jesus in action. All we see is just this incredible compassion for those who wrestle with shame. So, so I, I think the scripture is much more interested in that question. Okay, here's this, here's this soul deadening struggle that human beings can have. What is the way through it? Working through that is, is a process, isn't it? And it's a process that can be different for everybody and and I would imagine a lot of it comes down to flipping the the perspective in other words oftentimes that shame is based on how we perceive others and how they perceive us do we then have to kind of move beyond that to begin to see the way god perceives us yeah boy absolutely i think you, you just you just hit hit on something very important that 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 you know i want to learn of these things as we're speaking as well and and as we understand the way God works, it's not, oh, all of a sudden, in a half hour, we're going to be free of shame. It's, it's what we're, you know, what we're looking for is just maybe just a little glimmer, you know, just something that, 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 that approximates hope, okay? And just something that surprises us a little bit, where we say, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting our God, the Holy God, to have this kind of concern for for outcasts. That that's what we're looking for. Just in, this, in one sense, to be intrigued by a God who doesn't who doesn't conform to our expectations. And and one of the things you said when you talked about the phone lines being down is is probably relevant to right now too. Where in a sense, what the Lord says, I think, is 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 listen. Okay, just just sit down and and listen. 
and which is so unusual for that that's surprising in and of itself for people who wrestle with shame they feel like they have to do something they have to wash themselves more they have to they have to somehow be a fail a, a success before they're able to to be able to appear before God and other people but but what you have in scripture is a god who says listen listen to listen to stories of people who experience shame and watch watch my affection for them and and then story after story in scripture that's that's what we receive you know what struck me so interesting going back to my my central example earlier on of this friend of mine who had grown up in you know less than ideal circumstances i i always took note of the fact ed that here was someone who because he was not a person of of great wealth or of status had a very easy time in showing a sense of compassion toward others. Mm. Uh, here was someone who would volunteer during the holidays at a soup kitchen to help feed the needy during Thanksgiving and give, giving and Christmas and so forth, um, who, even though he had limited means, uh, was someone who tithed frequently, was, was eager to do something to help somebody else mm. out who was in need. His, his own life experience gave him the ability to see need in others, and yet when he turned that mirror on himself, yep. he saw someone that was a loser, who was worthless, who didn't feel comfortable going to certain events because he couldn't dress as nice as the others. It's yeah, amazing how there was a degree to which the shame taught him things about others that enabled him to become more understanding, more caring, more compassionate, and yet, as much as it benefited him to a degree in that sense, mm -hmm. never benefited his own viewpoint of himself. But it's a, it's a good starting point, what you're saying, where, where, where people who struggle with shame, you know, it, maybe we could put it this way, an outcast can recognize other outcasts. Mm, okay. They... They have keen eyes for other outcasts, and, and, and that seems to be the story of the New Testament, where here comes, here comes the king, and, and you know, he's, you know, his birth is announced with angels and prophecies, but, but if you're an outcast and you start reading through the very beginning of the New Testament, what you say is, hold it, here's... I recognize this guy. Okay, he doesn't belong either. He's on the outs as well. Here's a per. I recognize him. Is it possible that he might even recognize me? And, and, and then the, the the greatest indignity. They go down to Egypt. It's you know, you know Egypt is just a horrifying thing for a Jew. That's you know that's where they were enslaved and. And so he spends a, a couple early years in Egypt. You know, episode after episode, you look at you look at the Messiah, and, and and an outcast is able to spot Jesus better than anybody else because he is like them. And then then when you then when you watch his ministry take shape, it's it, it's the most peculiar thing. I mean, if you want to have a reputation you go among the movers and the shakers and the influencers and 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 Jesus was immediately on the outs and he was on the outs with the mover and shakers because here you remember that original complaint hey he can't be one of us because he eats with sinners mm -hmm. and and tax collectors he he eats with people who are on the outs he eats with the unclean which makes him unclean himself and and that was that was the original rap against Jesus that he associates himself with the outcast and and so you know to to use your friend as the illustration 
what we're you know what we're doing is okay you got it you recognize another outcast so watch him watch you know watch him walk through life now now notice this do you see that that outcast Jesus Christ he makes a beeline toward you okay and and most people really wrestle with shame as sort of their full-time job they they don't believe it and and I think well you know the, the scripture goes on and says well let me tell you some more stories and let me tell you some more stories and let me tell you some more but at some point I think those who wrestle wrestle with shame they they're going to have to do something so in, in a sense the Lord says hear the stories just listen and then he says okay now respond and and the response can be as simple as amen okay Lord I believe <laughs> I believe you even pursue me as an outcast. I believe that you, and here's, here's a term that scripture uses, you turn your face to me. And when somebody turns their face to you, it's this, it's this sign that you belong to them. It's a sign of their pleasure and their goodwill toward you. At some point, those who wrestle with shame, they're going to have to not only hear these beautiful words, but they're going to have to say, yes, I believe them. I believe that their words... That, that, that the Lord says to me. We're so comfortable sometimes living in kind of that pain because it's something that's very familiar, that sense of worthlessness and inferiority or living with rejection, humiliation, failure. And certainly a lot of people these days in light of what's transpired in the economy, um, people who have worked hard at their career um, and achieved a modicum of success and then suddenly because of no fault of their own, lost a job, lost a home, have not been able to regain employment, and they're walking around with that sense of shame. Let's talk about that angle when we come back. And turning about perspective on this topic, uh, seeing this as God sees us, seeing ourselves as God sees us. Shame interrupted. Best-selling author Edward Welch with us today. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've got best-selling author with us today, Ed Welsh. His latest book is called Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. Got a number of best-selling books to his credit. He also serves as a licensed psychologist and faculty member at the notable Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Been dealing with this topic, and you know, if you're someone who walks around, who lives with, who is an intimate of shame, that sense of rejection and worthlessness and weakness, humiliation, failure. And boy, certainly that that sense of failure, I think, is something that so many people these days, Ed, in the wake of what's been going on with the economic decline, have really had to struggle with. What kind of advice, what kind of insight can you offer to somebody who's who's walking around with that kind of shame, lost the job, lost the house, they feel like they're failure at caring for their family, and yet what do they do? Uh, there's there, there's nothing unique to this particular era in how we measure who we are by how much we make and 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 I don't live in the bay area but but I would think that it would be only be more obvious in in the bay area there's nothing unique to that because I think you found the same thing in the new testament and because the you know the poor they were they were the ones who were literally were worthless um and you know that's that's you know, a prominent way we measure our worth. What's our income? What's the status of our job? And and, and so I think there there are a couple of things that that Scripture does. Well, the, the Jesus does the 
The first thing is he says, hey, this is not a mirage. It's not simply you love money so much and you love your reputation. Uh, Jesus is, is acknowledging that poverty and, and financial difficulties are truly hard thing, and they're hard things that, 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 that can be experienced shamefully before the community. And, and then you keep your eyes open in the scripture. And, and so here, Matthew chapter 5, for example, it's, you know, one of, one of the, the early discourses that, that we have from Jesus. And here's how it starts. <laughs> yeah, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Now, now that's not going to make people out of a job feel really, you know, real, real nice all of a sudden. But it, it, it should capture our attention just a little bit. <laughs> Where, once again, it's as if is as if Jesus is aiming for the outcast and the shamed. That's they are his people, and and so so it's very intentional that he starts out the beatitudes by saying, "Blessed are the poor." He's he's showing how things are not the way they seem. That those who are outcast are those are the people of the living God. They are the ones who belong ultimately to the King. And, and what does he say? I think that's the one where he says, "Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom." Mm-hmm heaven and again it's like you said earlier this is a process um and and nobody's going to go away saying oh this is okay great my shame is all done now and i I feel fine about not having work is one of the big um, wedges though that we need to address here is to understand that in this process ultimately um without regard to what the source might be of our shame sometimes it's controllable a lot of times it isn't to ultimately understand that each and every one of us were bought with a price and that there is much that can be said about that um, that ultimate and enormous Christ, uh, sacrifice that Christ paid for us uh, so that in and through that sacrifice, that, that, that enormous pearl of great price, as Scripture says, uh, we can learn to, to, to see our identity as he sees our identity and be able to shed that sense of shame after a while? I, I think what we're saying is that we, we tend to think that the work of Christ on the cross is for forgiveness of sins in the narrowest sense. But, but you know, here's the problem. You go into the courtroom and, and the judge says you're, you're not guilty and you're forgiven. You leave the courtroom and you still feel disgusting. Well, you know, in some ways, the, the verdict doesn't make a whole lot of difference. You feel you still feel like a disgrace. I, I think what we're what we're what we're moving toward is what happened at the cross is much bigger than we will ever ever imagine. And and in, in that forgiveness of sins, we have been given Christ Himself. And, and 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 we and and here's shame is about associations. Are you associated with your poverty? Are you associated with the person who abused you? Uh, are you associated with your sins? Well, what what Jesus does at the cross is he is he snips all those old associations and he says you are you are now associated with me and. And so, you know, there's that, that wonderful passage in Peter. You are chosen. You know, this is. These are all words specifically to those who wrestle with shame. A chosen people. You're chosen. Okay. A royal priesthood. You're rich. Uh, a holy nation. You're, 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 you're even more than clean. You're holy. And then that, that, that thing that Peter says, a people belonging to God. A people belonging to God. 
that's all part of the package of, of the gospel of Christ. The, the gospel is for our guilt, and the gospel is for our shame. Isn't it interesting, too, I think of that passage, the people belonging to God, people that God calls having been set apart. So often we think of ourselves in the negative sense of having been set apart as being an outcast, um, and so forth, and yet to understand that there is another type of being set apart, called by his name, paid for by his blood, where now all of a sudden we can understand that that being somebody different than the rest can actually be something very special. It's it's, it's amazing the way the scripture uses the same kind of words. Um, Yeah, you're set apart. Now it's a set apart like you're, okay, you're on the traveling baseball team. (laughs) Now you're set apart. You're, You're in this elite organization. Now you're set apart where you are absolute, you are the one who is known by name by the king. So, so it's a set apart, but it's a set apart that warms our soul and, and says that we, you know, that, here's, here, here, this seems to be the very hub of scripture where, where the Lord says to us in Christ, I am yours and you are mine. We are people belonging to God. That's what we're set apart for. Ultimately, Ed, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. For those that have been eavesdropping on our conversation this afternoon that say, boy, you guys have really nailed it. You are articulating exactly where I'm at. How do I begin getting on this road to understand that I can go from that sense of being an outsider, an outcast, to understanding what it means to take on the mantle of being set apart in his name? How does that process begin? I, I hate to seem self-aggrandizing and, and, and talking about my own book, but but that shame interrupted book is it, it's really looking at it's basically just looking at scripture, but looking at it through the question, what do I do with my shame, and, and just watching these beautiful words unfold. So. So, so that you know, that can be sort of a, a coach, a friend, if you will, just to help people have eyes to see how Scripture does speak to shame over and over again. And 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 once you once you see it, once you're able to see those beautiful words, then you don't need the help as much, and you can just jump into Scripture and see them. But going back to I think what you said earlier, it's just allow that little little nugget of hope to just settle in. Okay. That, that maybe our God says things to our sense of disgrace and worthlessness that is much more than we ever imagined before, just to have that hope. That's what a great place to start that would be. Indeed so. And, and hope is, I think, an, an internal and an important word uh, that can be a central starting point of our focus. You know, when blame shows up on the doorstep, uh, we're having that sense of shame. Uh, we feel like we're worthless. We've been rejected. We're outcast. Um, to begin to incorporate God's viewpoint on who we are, uh, and to begin to see ourselves, not necessarily through how we perceive others see us, but rather how we should understand God sees us, is the important difference when it comes to shame interrupted. The new book, by the way, which as we mentioned before, um, is uh, published by New Growth Press. And uh, you can get more information online at newgrowthpressbookstore.com or through any Bay Area bookstore. And our thanks to best-selling author Ed Welsh for being with us tonight here. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.